At the center of the universe exists a great tree, Idrisil. Around its trunk the world gathers, and in its branches hang the stars. Its roots reach deep into our unconscious minds. One day, the Fenris wolf will ensure that a family member waters the roots of the tree with the blood of a loved one. On that day, even gods will be forced to embrace the void. Warning, this podcast contains foul language, dark invocations, and treating women like their people. Episode 20 of Embrace the Void, where humans are just wonderful, lovable, heartbreaking trash. I'm your host, Aaron, and with me until the void turns cold is my co-host, GW. How you doing, buddy? I'm in pain. Oh, man, I feel for you. You have the physical pain. I have the psychological pain. It's yeah. I'm not sure who's winning here. Yeah. I'm sorry. Yeah. For all those who are, are listening at home and, and don't follow gw i don't know if you posted anything about this but um gw uh cracked a tooth in half a few days ago good times despite having his tooth removed today he is here doing this recording he is hardcore that's just showing you how much commitment i have it's my stoicism coming out yeah that's pretty solid yeah yeah so uh other than that you know how's things uh oh uh it's been a really interesting sort of news couple of weeks. Uh, there's yeah. so much to talk about. Like, I know we don't want to spend the whole episode on it, but uh, I guess we should touch on the uh, the should Russian do a little little Yodel Mountain to steal it from our favorite <laughs> podcast. Yeah, it's like I'm in a black void trying to reach the news story. <laughs> but this this is just news, and I don't get lost in all the bullshit. Update on on the Russia stuff. I think first of all, I am I'm, I should be more comforted, uh, but I am at least pleased to see that it's going in the direction that we thought it was going to be going, and at roughly roughly the pace that we thought it was going, maybe even a little faster. I thought it was going to take a little longer than this, but there's been the the allegations against Manafort and the allegations against Gates and the plea deal with Papadopoulos, which is a huge deal. And then since then, we've found out that uh, there is enough evidence, apparently, supposedly, to indict Flynn and Flynn's son. And that there is evidence pointing probably that we know that Papadopoulos has turned something pretty much. And he's probably turned on Clovis, who could lead to Sessions. And at the same time, just today, the news was that, what, the the Russian lawyer who was there with uh, the Trump at the Trump meeting says that Trump offered her a quid pro quo just yeah. outright. <laughs> so, <laughs> like, I don't know. I don't know how much more we need. Like, I, it seems like we have all the things. <laughs> I want to take the not obvious trajectory here and just mm-hmm. make fun of Papadopoulos's name for a moment. Sure. It's A, the funnest name to say I've ever said. And right. B, it's just like Papadopoulos. Like, I don't right. like, yeah. there's just so many ways you could say it that are just fun. Right. Well, uh, on the count of three, what, what thing, what reference do you immediately think of when you hear the name Papadopoulos? Ready? Uh, 
I don't think any nothing Not for me comes to mind. What comes to mind uh, for you? So immediately for me, it's Flight of the Concords, right? I keep thinking of Hip Hopadopolis, <laughs> the the the, 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 <laughs> the rhyming hip hop hippopotamus, hip hopadopolis. <laughs> My words are preposterous. It hurts to laugh. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. I should be, I should be less funny. I'll be less. I'll be more dour today. Yes. Today is a day of mourning. No, but like it's interesting. Uh, I was blown away. Like Kellyanne Conway has been amazing at deflecting, but holy shit, her deflecting yeah. of this has been inc- like mm-hmm. bravo. Like. You're talking about um, Kellyanne, Kellyanne or, um, Conway. Uh, Saunders. Her deflecting is just is oh, like, yeah. I haven't it's seen her so stuff. good. Yeah, no, they're gonna have to work really, really hard. Like for the next little while. her ability to keep invoking <sighs> Clinton is and Obama is just, well, mostly Clinton is just remarkable. Yeah, Fox News has been really, really carrying just tankers full of water. It's like it's basically Fury Road. On, on Fox News every single day with like Trump written along the side and just like Kellyanne Conway and, and the Fox and Friends crew defending a giant tanker of water as they go <laughs> racing across the Armageddon. The, I think the liberals need a That's, network similar to Fox News, maybe like Hound News. Anyone? Fox? Fox and Hound? No, Fox and Hound. Fox Get and it? Friends? The Fox movie is old Disney movie. They, no, um, okay. Is that, um, is that yeah. a cartoon? Old Disney cartoon. No, I know. Yeah, that's a good one. There's yeah. something super depressing in that one, right? Like all good old Disney, some, something, someone important. Well, dies they're, they're like really good friends, and then they start growing up, and then they think that they're enemies, and, and they turn on each other. Then they move away. It's really yeah. sad. Oh, it's a metaphor for tribalism. That's going to go right. so great later. Oh, good one. Yeah, mm-hmm. stick, stick a pin in that. Um, so our, our predictions, right? I think going forward is that this goes farther. This isn't over. Right, which has been the predictions for I think everybody. All right, all reasonable people think that this is going somewhere, and my prediction is that this continues to be steadily on course right for Trump. I think that it's going to be an obstruction charge. Like I think he's going to try to flip as many people as he can. He's going to make a move on Junior and Kushner, and I think Trump's going to try to fire Mueller. And I think Mueller wants that. Everyone's like, "What happens when Trump starts pardoning people and tries to fire Mueller?" And I think. I think Mueller's got some plan that triggers if if Trump tries to fire him, much like Comey had those memos that triggered when um, Trump fired Comey, and that the firing of Mueller itself is going to be the final piece of the obstruction case that forces even, I think, a Republican Congress to have to start having impeachment hearings against Trump. Here's my prediction. I'm, go- I'm going full voidy on this yeah. prediction. Trump pardons either Manafort or someone else in a high-ranking status. That w- that could be one of his kids. Okay. Uh, um, it, you know, it could be someone, right? Th- sure. So that happens, right? He pardons the people, the, some person. Congress actually acts and goes like, you can't do that, which would be new precedents. That sparks mm-hmm. fucking civil war. Oh, I think civil war comes. Well, that's my prediction in terms of uh, in how it's going to happen. I think he's going to pardon someone. Congress is going to do something to basically pull a rabbit out of their ass to either them or or the Justice Department. It could be either. Could be the Supreme Court. Uh, And and Mm -hmm. because that gets reversed, 
that's the catalyst. Yeah, I think that's that's a possible alternative dark timeline. And I want to be clear, like, I think when I say I, I, I think civil war is inevitable, what I mean is violence is inevitable, increasing amounts of violence. Uh, I don't I don't know if it'll rise to the level hmm. of secession. Um, I, I do think that Trump is going to exacerbate the situation. And I also think we're not I mean, here's here's the truly voidy thing, right? I, I'm not saying that. We're in a good timeline because he's going to be impeached. I think impeachment proceedings are are coming, but I think we're in the worst possible timeline because we have no real way to come back from any of this. Um, the people who are angry about and, and elected Trump are not going to get less angry when he gets impeached. They're going to get angry at everybody and they're going to be pissed as hell. And all of the hate that has built up like in the past 60 years is not going anywhere and it's not going to functionally resolve either via uh, a proper civil war or via, you know, some sort of peace and reconciliation, because really this is all, you know, this goes all the way back to never resolving the issues of slavery, right? Never apologizing for the racism of America, never acknowledging our horrible fucked up history towards minorities and women, and then being really defensive when we are called out on that in the modern age. And that that tension is just going to build and build and build. Um, And we're just going to see more and more violence and anxiety and more uh, unreasonable action and less and less progress, less and less ability for people to just get anything. Yeah, it's going to be really interesting to see sort of how all this develops. Uh, Like with Trump specifically, it's like there's almost no scenario where he loses. Right. I mean, there's some elaborate ones, but I think realistically, I don't think he can lose. Like, even if he gets impeached, he's going to be able to have the narrative of, oh, this is the mainstream media. This is the left liberals. Right. He's going to be able to go, you know, this is the system in which uh, is corrupt. Right. I think we mentioned that in the narcissism episode that, like, you never win with a narcissist. Like, you don't see them get their just desserts because ultimately to get just desserts means to acknowledge that they fucked up and deserve their consequences to some extent. Or at least to, like, see such overwhelming consequences that they can't help but suffer them. But, like, for someone like him, you're right. There's just there's very little chance of, of you know, him suffering in substantial ways because his defenses will always reconstitute. Yeah. It's like it's becoming so blatantly clear how how evil Fox News really is. And I use that word specifically because when all the indictments mm-hmm. were coming out and they were talking about fucking emojis, right? Like it's yeah. it's so yeah. non-transparent. It's tribalism, which is our central topic tonight. Yeah. Shall we use that as an effective transition? Let's do it. What's Chang doing? He's getting a refill on his void. All right. See, people, we can do transitions. <laughs> find me about my transitions. Uh, so, to uh, to continue our ongoing series of reasons we exist in the void, <clears throat> right? We've done toxic masculinity and uh, anti-scientism, uh, or, or scientism, really. Um, today, we want to talk about tribalism, which is a uh, term that gets thrown around a lot today, I think. Everyone wants to sort of accuse other people of being tribalist in some bad sort of way. So I want to, I think, unpack what that means and who it applies to and why it might be a bad thing and and can we transcend it. Yeah. The part I want to start with is obviously we want to define our terms. But to sort of lead into a definition of tribalism, can't remember who said it and you might know, 
uh, uh, someone basically tried to give a definition of civilization and it was a common enemy. Do you know who said that? Mm. It sounds like 1984, but I could be wrong. Yeah. Um, I don't know for sure who it is, but it, it sounds like um, an Orwellian kind of view of, I mean, it's also very Hobbesian, right? The Leviathan idea of um, the, the coming together as a social contract to, to protect yourselves against enemies, foreign and domestic. Yeah. I sort of want to look it up right now. Okay. You should look it up. Um, I want to, for people who like to read along at home, uh, today's um, material will be largely, not largely, but in, um, in some part, at least cribbing from uh, Moral Tribes, which is a book by Joshua Green that was passed along to me by uh, Brian Henriksen, who's a friend of the show and uh, a frequent contributor to our, our Void Collective Consciousness. Uh, if you would like to be doxxed on the show, you can also <laughs> send me random philosophy books that you think I should read, which I will probably be able to read Oh, 40% of in the time that I have in my life. Uh, but it's a, it's a good book. It's, it provides a really important contrast to um, the other philosopher who we'll talk a little bit about some today, uh, uh, Jonathan Haidt, who gets uh, cited frequently by our friends, the uh, radical centrist TM. So we're going to talk about uh, their uh, objection of tribalism towards the left and the left's objection of tribalism towards the right and everyone's objection of tribalism towards the middle. So everyone gets, everyone gets called out. Yeah. Uh, I can't find, yeah. no, you find I, I can't, find, you can't it. find it. Uh, no. cause I heard it a while ago. Uh, it goes along with sort of, um, what's it called Dunbar's number, the, that people basically have mm -hmm. the capacity of knowing like 150 people or something like that. Mm -hmm. Uh, it's, yeah, it's essentially going back to pre-civilization humans. The way that we were able to survive was we couldn't we couldn't really survive by ourselves. And human mm -hmm. the human animal is essentially a social animal that survives based on a social network. And that social right. network is survives by banding together when one member is threatened in any way, whether that's by another animal, whether that's by another tribe and that's sort of the the crux of all of it right tribalism is the is defined as like the moral system that creates the capacity for us to come together and overcome individual need in favor of group community need for the sake of protecting ourselves like you said from an other so a key part of the tribal mentality is that there it creates an in-group out-group distinction within our moral framework. People within the tribe are treated one way, people outside of the tribe are treated another way. And this is very right, useful. But I don't think it's just a moral framework, right? I think it was it was a social framework in which we have derived morality from. Like I, I don't disagree with your definition, but I think it's it derived from an actual group organization uh, that was based on survival. Oh yeah, I just mean that that survival organizational capacity plays out in the form of a behavioral system that is best described as a morality, right? So the apes developed a morality, like fairness, for example, right? The, all of the evidence suggests that our, our distant ancestors developed systems of fairness responses where individuals within the group will actually sacrifice a small amount of their own resources simply to punish someone in the group who has violated the group's systems so that they can 
uh, reinforce the group's uh, behavioral patterns that patterns that lead to effectiveness. But I don't think it's just that. I think it's more about survival, right? Almost every, you know, post-apocalyptic dystopia kind of, you know, walking dead scenario is everything devolves into tribal tribalism where where the only way you survive is by group. one kind of morality is survival morality right like morality or, or for, as it is first and foremost a, a system of survival i i guess maybe maybe i maybe it's just a, a semantic difference like cuz i'm i'm using the term survival in terms of physical survival uh not sure. necessarily s- social survival i don't know maybe maybe i'm thinking right. of it wrong I, I guess what i would say is right for me morality is defined very very broadly as just the system of doing things well right right whatever whatever your particular goals are and then as a human being your first goal is survival and that immediately caches out as the survival within the group uh which creates this first level so so in in jonathan green's book he's he describes the evolution of the social dynamic and the moral dynamic where it starts off with small groups that sort of build towards slightly larger groups and that the way that this is accomplished is um we we like we said we we create this first level we overcome uh the like war of all against all where my preferences are pitted against your preferences by saying this particular group is going to work together and i'm gonna you know be loyal to these people and they're in turn going to be loyal to me and that overcomes the tragedy of the commons which is the sort of classic problem of how do we ration out the scarce resources we have to benefit everyone yeah yeah i'm on board yeah Right. Right. So that's that's the the pro position of tribalism. Right. So there are people in the world who think that tribalism is a good thing. And I don't think that we should just disregard them immediately because a lot of people in vogue today would say that tribalism is bad. I do think that tribalism ultimately is problematic, but I do think we need to understand where it comes from and what advantages it has as a moral framework, even if it's not the best. Well, I would argue that it has its place. Right. Like, I Mm -hmm. I think when you know, uh, a family member is in the hospital, right? You're going to be the one that advocates for that person while in the hospital, right? And and that there's a tribal sort of mentality of that. Or like, you know, your kids yeah. in school, like even, even in that sense, right? You're going to think about your kids in the framework of this larger organization in a very tribal yeah. way. And so I think it has uses, but I think it mm-hmm. is uh, definitely has negative consequences uh, in certain frameworks. Yeah, it's often contrasted with the utilitarian position, which I think we've talked about a little bit at least once before. But for, for new people, um, this is the basic idea that your your moral obligation is to maximize the good for everyone in an indiscriminate kind of way. That you shouldn't play favorites uh, egoically either for yourself or just for your friends or something. Like you shouldn't, you know, try to benefit people who you like, but um, hurt people who you don't. You should care about all suffering equally uh, and in an object as objective a way as possible. That's the kind of modern liberal utilitarian perspective, right? And this uh, is why and, and we that, have to kill yeah. all the Jews. Kill all the like because Jews are really tribal. Let's be honest; like well, they are. They're a, just not a the pure bunch. race, and I think that's really right. the crux of it. <laughs> that is always the crux of your view. <laughs> I feel like at some point we should put in a warning that you're not like genuinely anti-Semitic. Yeah. I'm not sure how many of the people know that for yeah. sure, but yeah, it's 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 difficult. It'll work yeah. out, right? My sarcasm, my sarcasm, totally sarcasm yeah. is sometimes a little too convincing. Right. If you use the word cultural Marxism, then it'll be more clear. Mm. 
I think people will understand what you're getting at. Um, and we won't get shut right. down. <laughs> um, so, right. So what I was saying was the, the utilitarian um, problem, like you're saying, is what about special interests within utilitarianism, right? So I want to be a good utilitarian. I want to benefit as many people as I can in an indiscriminate kind of way. But I also want to, like, put a little bit of resources towards myself and being happy and, and well off. And I want to, you know, I'm genuinely going to put a little bit more time and energy towards my wife than other people. Like there's just, there's just no way of avoiding that. Right. So how do we balance the need of, of uh, us as evolved beings who can only sort of, can, can, you know, are going to be a little local in our ethical judgments, but want to also try to be a little more universal as best we can. The needs of the many outweigh the needs of the few. Drop right. it in some Star Trek or the one Star Trek in it, right? So we got to we got to find the balance that's you know between the Borg and the whatever and the Klingons, I guess. <laughs> um, because like like you said, we see the problems of tribalism, right? So how do we get the good part, which is the com the community part? How do we get community and functionality without? the in-group, out-group morality, because that's the problem. Well, I think before we do that, I think we need to define ways that tribalism is manifests in a bad way. Oh, sure. So, right, um, our, our heroes of the week are going to be two examples, but, like, toxic masculinity is a kind of tribalism, right, where you see where, where, where men who buy into this men, uh, MRA kind of view see men as a assaulted kind of tribe, and they'll treat men one way and everyone else a different way. And they'll view members of the tribe as better than non-members of the tribe. Religious, you know, is, is another one. Nationalism, right? They're just, they're everywhere. Yeah. All of these identity narratives are all, are almost entirely all tribal narratives. Yeah, I think like a really great example is a lot of people are confused with the sort of growing uh, alt-right movement, right? And I think what mm -hmm. it stems from is... There's a lot of public language that denounces men and specifically white men, right? For a very right. good reason. Uh, and that, that, right. it's that whole notion of uh, equality can feel like uh, oppression to the people in power. And so right. what happens, right? I, if I'm sitting around and I'm a white man and I'm hearing all this negative rhetoric uh, in regards to white men, I find other white men and I go, hey— this this is that kind of sucks, doesn't it? And they go, yeah, that kind of sucks too. And they go, okay, great, let's kill all the Jews. They go, yeah, let's kill all the Jews. And that's sort of how it forms, <laughs> right? Yeah, absolutely. And I think it's it, we have to be very very careful here because we we can easily slip into a liberal trap of pretending like we're not tribal and they are, which is inaccurate, right? Postmodernism tells us that we're all stuck in our own biases to some extent, and our liberal worldview is still somewhat of a tribal worldview. I'm still Unfortunately, I've got to watch myself and make sure that I'm not going to uh, take for granted the claims of people who I agree with and be extremely skeptical of the claims of people that I don't agree right. with. Right. It's, it's, it's my favorite John Stewart quote. We tend to demonize those we disagree with and uh, grant amnesty to those we do. And it's, right. it's, one, it's the biggest caveat, the biggest premise of what a skeptic is that I think a lot of people constantly miss. And that is mm -hmm. questioning everything and trying to be as objective about everything as possible, right? It's really, really easy for most skeptics to go, oh, 9-11 truthers are a bunch of bullshit. The question I ask is like, well, have you ever actually looked into any of it yourself? And that's fine if you 
don't think that or do mm-hmm. think that regardless, right? But it's more about it's easy to make the leap. And from my perspective, it's just easy to go, you know what? I don't know. I don't have a position on that because I don't know enough. Right. And I, and like, to be fair, we're all going to have to appeal to experts in a lot of situations. And so part of tribal management, it, you know, like at the end of the day, if we want to put it in one kind of terms, we're going to where our goal is going to be a universal tribe that we're all a part of. But it's it's still going to be about a management kind of system for a community. Right. And we're still going to want to manage which people we can appeal to because we know that they're reliable sources of information, for example. So, no, absolutely. And, and, I, and I completely agree with mm-hmm. you. Like when it comes to experts, uh, we have mm-hmm. to find a way to listen to them. But also at the same token, uh, it's something that, you know, I'd like to talk about at some other point. Uh, and that is that I think science has failed us in terms of its ability to communicate its complex system structures and language to people who are not within those small groups. Mm-hmm. Um, definitely. So let's let's actually talk about the science of tribalism a little bit because um, both Green and Hate dig into the sociology of the main tribes that we see, and especially in our modern culture, where right you have the libertarians, you have the the uh, social conservatives, you have the liberals, and and what they you know what they do when they explore these is they look at how those tribes are different, and and often how they're different is. The, the degree to which they place weight on certain values versus other values within their ethical frameworks, right? So liberals care a lot about <laughs> fairness um, and respect for individual freedom. And not, not um, killing the Jews. And not killing the Jews, but instead secretly funneling a lot of money to the Jews. Um, right. Whereas... Conservatives also believe in secretly funding, funding a lot of money to the Jews, but because they have, an, they have a fixation on things like the sacred more. And so they believe in sacredness and authority, and their authority figures tell them to funnel money to the Jews. And so they, they do that because of that reason. So that's a good example of where differing tribes can do the same behavior, but be coming at it from very different value backgrounds. Yeah, uh, I want to be careful that we're not conflating tribes and tribalism with sort of groups and organizations, right? Because I think that ultimately, ultimately, like tribalism speaks to a survival mentality. And I'm saying that now more broadly in so much as, as the, a tribal argument would be, we have to do this so that we don't get harmed in some way, or we have to do this because they're bad or they're wrong because they're bad. I think that's different than, we have a set of beliefs that we want to advocate for. Does that mm-hmm. make sense? Like, I, I think, like, conservative and liberal ha- is a set of worldviews. Yeah, you're sort of distinguishing, I think, between a tribe and an ideology or something. Yeah, yeah. I, and I think that's an important distinction, right? Because I think yeah, tribalism, I, I think, on its face is about survival of the group or individuals within the group through a mechanism yeah. of demonizing and or protecting Right, that's the key. That's the key feature to me. Right, when we're talking about tribalism, we're talking about as the in-group, out-group mechanism that is used for survival. Right, right. I, I just wanted to right. make sh- clarify that distinction. No, I think that's good. Um, I, I think though, within that distinction, all of those main groups that we would want to talk about within our culture do, to some extent, fit into that. Right, liberals believe that they are 
invested in the survival of not only their group, but the whole species. And so do conservatives and libertarians believe very strongly that they're, uh, that they should be free of everyone else's views about what their group should be engaged in. Yeah. So like, I think everyone's really invested every, every tribe. And what we're seeing in our culture is a heightening of tribal differences. And so what, what I've seen a lot of is, um, the the conservative type uh centrist conservative alt conservative whatever the fuck you want to call those kinds of people right they love to pull on jonathan Haidt's research because jonathan Haidt does the same similar stuff that jo- joshua green does when he's talking about these different moral tribes but but Haidt's view is that liberals have a a dampened or a weakened or an insufficient moral uh framework Right. It's like if we, he, he describes it as a sense of taste and it's like we're missing our sense of sour or something like that, because from from how he reads the metrics, our fixation is on uh, fairness, unfairness and uh, reducing suffering all over and not on things like authority slash loyalty and, and sacredness slash disgust, which are the kind of reactions that drive conservative behavior. And who is this again? This is this is Jonathan uh, Haidt or Haidt. I'm not sure exactly. Um, he gets he gets cited quite a bit, and so I want to I, I point this out because I think a lot of our listeners will be engaged in conversations where he comes up, and it'll be useful for them to know that he um, he gets some things right. Like he's he's not entirely wrong about the divisions between our tribe and their tribe. Roughly speaking, he's wrong in his conclusions about what those differences mean between our two tribes. In reality, I think, and Joshua Green makes this argument quite well, what you see is that liberalism is a, a tribe that is aimed at transcending tribalism. And it's imperfect in doing so because it's doing it within that framework of trying to still appeal to people's individual identities and that sort of thing and bring together community. And that makes it very difficult to not slip into tribalism. But conservatism is much more thoroughgoing in its in-group, out-group hatred, right? Liberals can get there and it's unfortunate, but the liberal mindset is about breaking down the in-group, out-group hatred in favor of utilitarianism. Yeah. And I think a really great example of how tribalism can lead to a hubris is Mm -hmm. where like Bernie supporters, you know, not voting for Hillary, right? And by that, I mean, like once she got the nomination, what was it, 10% of Bernie supporters voted for Trump or over 10%? Mm-hmm. Within another, mm-hmm. I, I don't remember the numbers, but there was another large group that voted for Jill Stein and uh, whatever the libertarian guy, I can't remember his name. Uh, I think that there's a lack of awareness as to how damaging that was because there was no one was willing to go, yes, Trump could actually happen. And so, so sometimes yeah. tribalism can lead to a hubris where it's sort of self-destructing, but uh, lacks the ability to step back and get perspective. Right. And liberal tribalism can have a hubris to it where it thinks that it can, that it has already overcome human biology and human biology is really geared towards this kind of tribalism. So when you see Trump winning, what you see is a kind of dormant tribal backlash, that, that really sort of exploded because it had been told that it could no longer pursue its narrow tribal views about disgust and sanctity, especially. Yeah. That's, that, that, I think, is the key difference. And, right, this is where I think hate just goes completely wrong, is thinking that 
there's something bad about uh, distancing ourselves from the the attributes, especially of uh, pro authority and pro sanctity, right, or pro sacredness or something like that, right? The modern secular liberal gets away from these these stupid disgust reactions that might have been useful at a previous point in evolutionary history, but now lead us to do things like not immediately realize that someone who looks different than us is still a person and should be given equal rights. Right. You know, or someone who wants to behave slightly differently should be given equal rights. Right. And I think the thing that the, that Democrats specifically have to be careful of is it can go too far. And I think that's what like, the boom of the alt-right is the Democrats' ability to reach out to the everyday working person. And I think, like, mm-hmm. the narrative, which I completely agree with and I think should continue, which is, you know, supporting uh, um, uh, underprivileged groups of all kinds. But I think also reaching out to the majority group, the, you know, white man, which we're going to, you know, harp on a lot. I think that they still need to find a way to to reach out to that person um, because. Mm-hmm. Yeah, let me um, let me. That's perfect. Let me read you this yeah. quote from Green. That's that's right on the exact same point. I think I think you're dead on. He says um, this is after he's talked quite a bit about sort of how hates. Uh, view that conservatism is the important yin to liberal yang and they balance each other out, which I think a little imperfect. Um, but he says this much, right? This is not to say that liberals have nothing to learn from social conservatives. As Haight points out, social conservatives are very good at making each other happy. They are good neighbors, more willing than uh, typical liberals to invest in their communities with time and with money. They know how to build social capital to create social networks, institutions that build trust and make collective action possible. In other words, social conservatives are very good at averting the original tragedy of the commons. Nevertheless, they are very bad at averting the modern tragedy, the tragedy of common sense morality, which is his view of the like the conflict between competing moralities within the modern system. Right. As a liberal, I can admire the social capital invested in a local church and wish that we liberals had equally dense and supportive social networks. But it's quite another thing to acquiesce to that church's teaching on abortion, homosexuality, and how the world got made. Right. I think that's the that's the right ultimate conclusion. Yeah. That um, community is good, and we figure out how to build healthy, functional communities. But we figure out how to do that in a way that isn't tribal. That, that takes into value everyone outside of the community as best as the community can while still sustaining itself and, and gets resources out to the community and also doesn't judge or shun people who don't agree with the ideologies of the community. Right, and that's why like one of the things I've said a couple of times on this podcast is to not demonize people for asking questions, right? Like mm-hmm. if I ask a question and and I haven't, looked at the data myself, I shouldn't be condemned for asking the question, right? Assuming it's coming from an honest place, right? There's a difference between that and a loaded question, obviously. Right. Uh, but I think, like, being okay with people being ignorant, as uh-huh. long as the person isn't willfully ignorant, isn't right. going, like, don't tell me that, I don't want to know, right? That That's a different thing. But an honest ignorance, I think, is something we have to be careful of because it can uh, sort of like categorize people into these groups of, well, they should have known better, uh, which yeah. can be dangerous. 
Yeah, and I think this is where Hate and Green are all on the same page, and we're on the same page with them, where they, the idea that when someone comes at you with a, with a, like a strong, like, you know, some, you're pro-choice, and somebody comes at you with a strong pro-life position, right? The answer is not to call them moral monsters for not having the same value judgments as you, but instead to say, I understand how your particular constellation of moral values gets you to that conclusion. Can we talk about how my my constellation gets me to this conclusion? And then can we find some middle ground, not, not necessarily an exact middle ground, but can we find actually what we would call a unifying meta-morality that we both agree to, that we can figure out a way to balance out how to deal with our competing views in, in society, right? Because um, the liberal ideal, I think, some view of the liberal ideal is, right, that tribalism goes away completely in the sense that everyone accepts the exact same moral viewpoint. I don't think that's ever going to happen. I think human beings are too diverse and they're going to have too many different perspectives about how to balance all of the moral needs in the world. So, accept that different groups with different ideologies are going to exist and figure out a way to create a society that can speak to all of those different groups in a universal language. Now, I... And that universal... No, yeah. sorry, finish, finish what you're saying. The universal language, right, that, that Green pr- proposes, which I which um, hate also, I think, con- uh, commits to eventually, and I agree with, is uh, uni- utilitarianism, right? I think this view can speak to everyone's, the root need behind everyone's different tribes enough that we can find a compromise that everyone will accept. Uh, now, I disagree with a big part of that, mostly in, okay. in regards to, I th- and I think this is something that uh, liberals need to rectify, and that is there are some moral truths that we need to sort of go to bat for, Right. Things like the way that women are right. treated, right? You know, in in Saudi Arabia, culturally is okay to sort of beat your your wife or your daughter, to you know, stone her, behead people, right? I, I think that there are some mm-hmm. moral objective truths that we need to draw lines in the sand, uh, uh, and I don't think that there's always a, a compromise. I think in most cases, mm-hmm. I, I I agree with you, but I think that there are some cases where. Some it's it's that thing that went around you know recently like a month or so ago about um, tolerating intolerance uh, and that you that it is okay right. to, to the paradox of tolerance yeah exactly um, no you're right and I was I was trying to sort of work that into the last point but I, I want to reiterate by actually um, reiterating the difference between pluralism and relativism right so on this view. We're, we're still not endorsing relativism. We're not saying all of the tribes, uh, every every potential tribe is not equally right and doesn't get an equal seat at the table, right? The tribe of Nazi baby killers are just a bad tribe and we're going we're gonna to convert them or we're going to kill them, right? At the end of the day, they can't be allowed to coexist around normal human beings, right? That's pluralism, right? So pluralism says certain different certain differences between perspectives are okay other differences are not okay right your moral view says you have to grow a beard my moral view says it doesn't matter whether you grow a beard or not right as long as you're not killing people who aren't growing a beard there's no big difference there's no problem between us right and then we just need to create a meta morality between us where we agree that society is not going to kill people for not growing beards, nor is it going to prohibit people from growing beards. Yeah. 
This is a small tangent, and uh, uh, I know I joke around about like killing all the Jews, which is hilarious. Uh-huh. That's you know that's objectively true. There's this really great doc- <laughs> documentary you should check out that's on Netflix right now. I think it's called One of Us. It's about the uh-huh. um, Orthodox Jews in New York specifically, but it, it talks about a few of them uh, and some mm-hmm. of their practices in terms of how they treat women and how they treat and shun people, uh, which yeah. is actually pretty interesting. Um, yeah. And I think when we when we pull everybody into um, the social contract, right, we start to be able to exert influence on the more problematic tribes, or the pro, you know we start let's not say that there are more trouble, but the tribes that have particular problematic problematic behaviors, right? We can start to pressure them to reform some of those behaviors as part of the social contract. Right. So when we were talking about toxic masculinity, you can get a pushback on that where people will say certain cultures have certain views of masculinity and femininity that are part of their ancestral heritage. And you shouldn't call out those groups because that's part of their heritage, to which I as a liberal say, no, that's false. That's just flat morally wrong. Right. We can call them out. We can say that's no longer that's not acceptable. It was never acceptable to begin with. And and it's not acceptable to to continue to view these people as inferior or secondary, whatever, right? Like whatever that, that tribe is doing wrong, we can call that out. And then we can also have a group of people and say like within this range, you know, like that's fine as long as you can get along with other people who disagree with you. Yeah. So it seems like if, if we were to sort of circle around to the positives Mm -hmm. that tribalism can actually do, um, Mm -hmm. it would be to call out problematic tribalism, Right. It seems like it may be the only option to combat uh, uh-huh. a a group that is behaving in a tribalist way, in a, in a negative tribalist way that is causing yeah. suffering or something like that. Yeah. And that's, I think, one way to sort of describe what third wave, you know, intersectional progressivism is about is the idea of, you know, we've tried to get equal rights for all these different groups and we have to recognize the differences in privilege and the differences in um, challenges faced by all these different groups. But we also want to figure out a system where we can uh, incorporate all of these groups into a society where we, where we recognize if there, you know, if there are going to be some intractable differences, we figure out a way to work around them and, and continue to be functional. And we, uh, don't necessarily condemn people just for having different perspectives, though we also are able, like you were saying, to condemn perspectives that are outside the range of acceptable behaviors. Right. And I think so. and I think like it's a difficult line to distinguish the difference between someone with a differing opinion or or worldview and someone with a problematic worldview. It's yeah. it's a difficult line and uh, yeah. we have to be very cautious about when we choose to say this is problematic and I'm drawing the line mm-hmm. in the sand and things that are, you know, I just disagree with you. Yeah, absolutely. Right. Um, I get sort of decisive sometimes when I talk about um, morality and it, it, it gives the false impression. I think sometimes that these things are obvious or easy when it comes to the practical side of things, but in the practical side, you know, any, any distinction, any hard moral distinction is, you know, they're hard, right? You're sitting there trying to, figure out is this a behavior that is okay because everyone involved is consenting and saying that it's okay even though 
it seems from an outside perspective to be to some extent demeaning to somebody involved or something like, you know, it's really hard to deal with some of these problems. Yeah. Um, but we have to, you know, we have to continue to work at it. Um, next, next episode, I think we're going to try to do an episode on intersectionality, which hopefully can talk about some of the ways that we can bridge some of these gaps while still recognizing that there are differences, both in the way that, uh, different tribes are treated by our society and different tribes treat each other within our society. Yeah, that sounds great. Is that what you think you are? A hero? Saved the world, didn't I? Once. Talk to me after you've done it a couple more times. Uh, yeah, man. Hero of the week. Uh, who did we decide to go with? Oh, yeah. I, I don't know their names. I have to look up their names. We're not, no, let's not look up their names because they're horrible people. Yeah, that's I mean, not horrible. Right. Let's not look up their names because it doesn't do anything, right? I don't. Yeah, that's fair. I gotta, I gotta get into the habit of saying things like people are horrible people. I, I have a bit of qualms about this segment because as a moral luck person, part of me is sympathetic to all of our heroes, well, even the really, really terrible ones. Well, we've had heroes who are positive. We've had Bill, right? We had a Bill. Sure. sure. So I think it's just... Um, yeah. I see what you're saying. But you know what I'm saying? Like, I don't... I don't like, these guys are an interesting example, right? So our... our right, we've now pontificated for very long. We're gonna... We're going to give a shout out to the two men who have murdered a bunch of people since we did our toxic masculinity episode. Wait, wait. Right? So it was the... two men? Oh, I, don't, yeah. I don't believe you. I don't believe you. It's, Fact check it. It's always, and like when I say always, I know that some of you are gritting your teeth, but I, it's like I, it's like Black Lives Matter. Like I want to use a term that really drives home. It's like 95%. You know, like... When, if, when it's 95, if it was 95% of, of Muslims, I'd say, man, we've got a major problem with Islam that we need to be dealing with right now. But the fact that it's 95% men and that in the time between our toxic masculinity episode and now, two men from diametrically opposed ideologies, as far as I can tell, both murdered a bunch of people. Yeah, but let's objectively speaking, the white man was clearly better at it. Right, right. We should give a shout out to the fact that it it really appears that um, if there are essential distinctions between the races, one of them is that the white man is better at murdering lots yeah. of people. Hands down, white man is better than all other groups. Right. And like Genghis Khan tried. He did really good work. And I want to give him credit for that. But like, fuck, they are, we are leaving people in the dust yeah. on this one. And, you know, I don't, I don't know if you get rid of guns. I don't know if you teach men. And, like, here's the other thing, right? Uh, I'm not sure about both of them. I'm not sure on the, the, the one in New York City, there isn't as much background information yet. But we already know that the one who was in Texas who, like, stormed into his church. Or not, no, sorry, the church of his mother's grandmother murdered his grandmother and a bunch of other people. It's like the count I last um, saw was 27. After threatening the mother, after engaging in domestic abuse against the daughter and the wife. Who, and he got, like, like dishonorably discharged for it. Right. And, like, fucking David Frum, I have to agree with David Frum again, who's like, if we just banned access to guns for people with domestic abuse charges, right? But then immediately I get people tweeting at me, like, you know, anybody can charge anybody with domestic abuse and you can get on those lists and then you can't have guns anymore. And like, what if somebody does it vindictively? And I'm like, I don't know. I guess we're just stuck with a bunch of men murdering people after they beat their wives and children. Well, here's, uh, I guess that's our option. I want to use this as an opportunity to do a really easy comparison. One guy mm -hmm. 
rented a truck, or yeah, rented a truck, mowed down, killed what was it? What was the count? Nine people. Eight or nine. Yeah, eight or nine people. Mm-hmm. This other guy has an AR-15 and shoots like forty-seven right. people and kills what twenty-seven. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I, I think the gun does matter. Like, yeah, no, I think you're right. Like, it's like both wanted to go out and kill a bunch of people. One of it was one of them was better at it than the other. Why? Because he was a white man. A, yes, I will concede part of it is because he's a white man. Genetically, right? It's an evolution thing, right? They evolved to be better at this. Genetically, they're better than women. They're better than black people. Jews, they're better than the Jews. Right, who are really, really good at covertly killing a lot of people, let me tell you. Right. Uh, Clearly, the only difference between the two, one had a vehicle who drove down a bike lane. Right. Easily knocking, like, he just, the only reason why he stopped is he probably ran into that that bus. Right. Uh, And the other guy just spraying some bullets. Right. I mean, like... People said the same thing after Vegas, right? Where they're like, how many people could you kill driving a truck out of the window of that hotel room? Oh, you just like drove it out. And, like, you just, <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, Arnold Schwarzenegger style. Yeah, how did you get the truck up there? That's my question. Right. You assemble it inside mm. of the room, obviously. Um, yeah, so like, I don't know. We're never going to get rid of the guns, I guess, or not. I don't know. So maybe, maybe let's talk about the mail problem. <laughs> and like, here's where I was like, I want to be sympathetic, right? Even though... These guys are clearly damaged individuals, right? They were damaged. They were damaged by someone. They were damaged by culture. They were damaged by the military. They were damaged by their religions. Whatever it is, something is poisoning men, right? Like, if we found out tomorrow that there was something in the paint that was mixing with Y chromosomes and making men particularly horrible, no one would be surprised, right? We found that out, what, 25, uh, 30 years ago now with lead paint? And since we've been taking lead paint out, right, men have been substantially less horrible, but they're still doing a bunch of horrible things. So I don't know. Yeah, it's going to be, I think, I think the strategy to talk about gun control, I know that that's not what the topic is, but I think, I think we need to move off of trying to change or ban or, or, you know, come up with new regulations for guns. I think we do it for bullets. Constitution doesn't say shit about bullets. It says bear no. arms. It doesn't say bear arms with ammunition. Sure. We can, and limiting access to ammo. We can easily right? limit access to ammo, right? We could say like, oh, you want to be a hunter? The bullets yeah. for the types of guns that are okay for going out and hunting, we can make those available. But then all the other bullets, we could say are only available at gun ranges where you can buy there and have to use there. Yeah, I'm going to be honest. I don't, I'm not an expert on the which, which solutions are currently thought to be the, the most promising solutions for actually reducing gun violence in these sorts of situations. Um, I am on board with whatever experts say is the right way to do this. And I'm on board with having a conversation about how we adjust our concepts of liberty in order to accommodate those needs. And I'm really, really on board with teaching men how to see a therapist or something like, right. There's, there's, there's gotta be some way to fix this problem because I I don't know. It seems like it's getting worse. It seems like toxic masculinity is really peaking. Yeah. I think like it's a lot of it has to do with, Hopefully, uh, making stoicism less popular. 
Like I, sure. I, I, yeah. You mean you mean like the 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 negative kind of stoicism, the like men can't well, the have toxic feelings masculinity kind of stoicism. stoicism, right? Yeah. Like you know, right, in the last right. episode with Thomas and stuff, when I talked about like getting a rock thrown at my head and stuff, like when yeah, I, you know, I was in high school when Columbine happened, and I was like. Yeah, I, I see why they did it. I mean, at the time, like, I didn't know much about it. But, like, I, I sort of uh, uh, projected it onto my situations and was like, yeah, I get it. Uh, yeah. uh, and then I was clearly wrong. And, and once I learned more sort of about it. Um, but that, in, that instinct for shared empathy is important, I think, even for these people. Yeah, sorry. I cut no, 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 it's fine. Uh, but, yeah, it's, it, you know, it's not being able to to show emotion. It's not being able to confide in other people with things that you're feeling. Uh, it's with having to be a tough guy or, or uh, um, exhibit behavior that aligns with this warlike mentality. We'll see. We'll see if it gets addressed at some point or, or just keeps getting elected president. Well, I think, I think it is getting addressed. It's just, it's something that's going to take like, mm -hmm. I, you know, I'm only 33 and I grew up with it. Right. And right. It, it's going to, you know, I think kids that are growing up today have a lot less of this, uh, of growing up in a men have to be stoic sort of yeah. environment. But I think mm -hmm. it's going to take a generation before we sort of see that manifest in a positive way. And I hope that, that we can successfully help them replace that perspective with a healthier, more balanced one instead of them sort of jumping to some sort of other ideology that demands that men act a, a different kind of way or something. But we're sort of rehashing, I guess, our previous episode. I guess maybe we'll yeah. <laughs> wrap it's it so up. so relevant. But um, um, I wanted to, before you roll into your thing, give another um, shout out to uh, our fans. We've gotten to 20 episodes now. And we've hit our first Patreon goal. And especially a big shout out to um, our most recent um, uh, Patreon supporter, Abe, who's a, a friend of Monster Island, which is my argument group. If anybody wants to join Monster Island, by the way, uh, it's a Facebook group. It's, it's spelled Monster Island. And <laughs> ma ma make sure you answer the questions and I will let you in. And you can see some really, really horrifying, interesting arguments that feed my beliefs about the void. So, uh, but thanks to Abe for a, a really substantial donation that pushed us up to the limit. So you're going to start seeing or hearing some more um, patron-only content on the regular here, yeah. And especially in the form of um, some of our some more chapters from our book review consistently. And we're going to get started on that thank you video that we promised. Yeah, yeah. We're gonna we're gonna work on that thank you video so we could send that out. But then also now to put this bug in everyone's ear, uh, our next goal is 200. Uh, uh, dollars an episode where we'll start doing an episode a week. Regular episodes a week plus patron-only content. Ugh. And then I think everyone will have just as much void as they could possibly handle, and we're not going to promise anything more than that. Yeah, so. I mean, we might have to, like, have full episodes of just humor just to try to, like, deal with it and cope with the void. <laughs> Maybe, like, every yeah. other episode's coping with the void. Right. We do. We we have been a little heavy on the problems. I guess we got to work on another episode of COVID. I mean, it's, you've been winning. Like I, I, I got nothing. Yeah. Well, you know, I'm not wrong. Void's just an asshole. <laughs> we want to thank our new patron, Abraham Galatsky. I think we just call him Abe. Uh, and a double thank you for him for his really high 
pledge. We want to thank our top patrons, Dave Maslich and Jesse Rubinowitz. Our next goal is going to be $200, so try to get us there so we can start doing an episode a week. If you want to join us or find us, you can find us at facebook.com slash embrace the void. Find us at patreon.com slash embrace the void. Email us at voidpod at gmail.com. And our website is voidpod.com. As always, remember, you are the void and the void is you. Thank you.